retarded that they uh, they think that we're going to miss the uh, the bolt release because you know it's a ping pong paddle, right? There's the button that you press that will release the bolt, and then the one beneath that. It's a part of the same assembly, but they serve two different purposes. The other one, you push it in, and that's to lock the bolt back to the rear. And that is a that is an actual taut drill for when you got double feeds or something like that, and you do your cock lock drop. So they they understand that you can put your thumb on a button that is, I think, 90% smaller than the uh, actual bolt release. But no, 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 no. You have to drop the bolt with the charging handle. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're doing your drill wrong and you're wrong. Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt. And before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. No, I don't. I don't think they did any actual beach landings. I know. Um, I know for sure because this was actually kind of cool. We had a, a surviving member from our unit from World War II, and uh, he only just passed like a year ago. But we would, um, like, some someone in my unit had access to uh, like a Bren light machine gun with like the, the whole kit and the tripod and magazine. Oh, really? And like that? Yeah, yeah. And they brought him over to him. You know, it's his first time he's touched it since the war and things like that. But um, we were kind of uh, like a heavy weapons, uh, not, I don't think company is the right term. I, I, I kind of like forgotten and I never really sure. fully understood. I understood like the smaller level stuff, but building up higher to like brigades, armies and things like that, it just kind of goes right over right, my head. Right. But um, I know we were in um, Italy and mm. um there was one decisive engagement. This is one that we brought up a lot of times just to kind of use it as a comparison to things we can do with the weapons we have now. Like uh, we had our Bren guns uh, set up and we were firing onto some like uh, street interceptions, just like like a three round burst every, I don't know, couple of, couple of seconds. Like it wasn't consistent to same fire, but if you walked out into that interception, you were liable to get shot. So we kind right. of denied the area them but we were shooting that it was over like two and a half kilometers away it's kind of huh. it, it's not it's not direct fire it's literally indirect fire with a machine gun right right which until you hear an example of someone doing it you would never really think of it right yeah that's crazy i remember reading in world war one they would do that they'd set the um the machine guns up and they'd like limit the traverse mm-hmm. and set fix the elevation with with uh, set screws or whatever and then they just, for hours, they just go through belts of ammo, just going left, right, left. Yeah. Just, they, they'd, zoom, they'd figure out where they were landing and then just consider that area a death zone just to yeah, deny, exactly. deny it, the it, area. Exactly. It's a great way to deny the area. And if you, if you think about it in terms of economics, it's not as expensive as, say, dropping a bomb or actually sending people out into that area to physically hold on to it with, you know, actual sure. troops, personnel, things like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Not only is a bomb expensive, but you got to get it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is... The, fu- 
the manufacturing <laughs> the bomb, getting the bomb into the country, getting it onto the plane. It's right. Until right. like you like join the military and you actually kind of get in there and you can sort of see it. Like personally, I never really thought of that kind of stuff before ever. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But it is just kind of the way I'm wired. I like to think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, today, if the, if the listener hasn't uh, realized today is a little different today, we have a former member of the Canadian armed forces with us, Mark, how's it going? Doing pretty good. How are you doing? Great. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. This is, this is going to be fun. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I will, uh, I will add a, a caveat. I wasn't in, um, I wasn't in the regular military. I was just in the uh, reserve force. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little oh, bit different. Okay. Is that, yeah. how, how similar is that to American reserves? Do you know? Now I'm not entirely sure about American reserves because okay. I, I know there's regular force army units, regular force Marine units. I know I've heard of some like reserve Marine units and I don't know if the national guard is the reserve unit for all the army or something like that. So I don't know exactly how it works, but from my imagining, mm-hmm. I'd say that the, uh, the Canadian reserves is most similar to the national regard, uh, national guard. Okay. Sure. It's, uh, it, it, it's kind of weird. It's like, it's literally a part-time soldier. The, 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 uh, the statement they say on like their advertisements or whatever, it's like um, one night a week, one weekend a month of like actual training. Mm, and now okay. the, the one, the one night a week is normally a consistent thing, but um, just with the time that I joined and uh, goings on in the world at that particular time, the weekend thing is, uh, is really hit or miss. Oh, like, okay. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think the uh, American reserves say one weekend a month in like two weeks a year. I think is kind of their default thing. Yeah, we do have, um, we like, it's called, um, I think it's called full-time summer employment. So basically from, uh, oh, I think it, it doesn't start in May, May. I think it starts in uh, June and it goes to the end of August. So it, as a reservist, if you wanted to work for that, that's four months, right? Because I'm pretty sure it's a, it's a four-month period. Regardless, sure. if, you, if you wanted work, from that time they would find something for you like even oh, okay. if it's like just like bitch duty you know peeling potatoes or washing dishes all the way up to like working with like reconnaissance people and things like that or just huh. doing some uh trade courses to further you in your career okay sure so are you under yeah are you under the same command structure because i think i think in america i think and I, what do i know I think uh, reserves are are under pretty much the same command structure, but like National Guard is under a slightly different. Yeah, the National like Guard's under the state. I'm yeah, I, sure. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So no, we're st- we're still kind of like under the whole military thing. Okay. Um, like like operationally uh, for domestic operations. Um, Basically, there's something called Oplentis, which basically anytime there's some kind of natural disaster, typically hurricanes, that is the Canadian military's response to that. And um, mm. basically, like if your reserve unit is based in uh, New Brunswick, let's say, you're going to be staying in New Brunswick. You're not sure. going to be going to anywhere else in the province. Like, yeah, you might go like an hour or two or three across the province, but 
you're not going into a different province. And, and province is the Canadian True. equivalent of a state for those who don't know. Yeah, just bigger mostly. <laughs> yeah, it's a few tiny ones, but uh, a lot of them are a lot bigger. Yeah. Huh. Um. Yeah. So what? What's kind of like your background? What? Why do you join? And what's uh? What? What's your well? Thoughts there? Um, your I always watched uh, watched action movies as a kid. Uh, like a lot of kids played a lot of COD, things like that. Uh, I always liked guns, always liked the military, like the idea of it, you know, going out and being a professional fighting force and things like that. It always, always intrigued me. And then as I got a little bit older, I, um, I, I personally, I played hockey, like, you know, surprisingly not like every Canadian, but, you know, as every, <laughs> every true Canadian plays hockey, but, um, I kind of started to view the military the same way I would try to view hockey. Like I didn't play the highest level hockey out there, but it doesn't mean I'm going to like, you know, I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to be the best I possibly can be. So I, mm. I kind of went in there with the mentality of being the best line infantryman that I could possibly be to be as, a, as lethal as possible as one man on his own could be. Not gotcha. that we operate on our own, but you know, right. Because like the infantrymen, like is I, I think it's like one of the oldest uh, trades in uh, recorded human history. Like one of the first ever jobs was like some kind of mercenary or something like that. Oh sure, sure that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it's been around for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there, I, I've always heard like random like straw men arguments saying like, oh, the infantry is not going to exist anymore. It's like, no, like the infantry is literally always going to exist, like straight up. So. Right. Right. It's like, uh, it's like in the sixties, they were pulling guns off of fighter planes. You know, the day of the gun is passed and everything. And then, you know, 10, yeah. 20 years later, throwing uh, the gun back I, on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, uh, I think the Brits took a little longer to, to come to reality, but like, yeah, the, there were F4s, made without guns and then they were mounting gun pods underneath and it's like no actually these are handy yeah it's so. always it's always interesting seeing people going against the grain and like most of the time when people go against the grain like you know it, it doesn't work like you said that example with uh the gun there or i can use i can use the canadian military example of uh or even american military example of anti-air capabilities because uh with us being in the gwat for right. uh like 21 years or something like that because it did officially end in december i don't know if you heard but uh, okay sure didn't actually end i mean there's still american <laughs> soldiers in somalia and africa and things like that but right on paper it's over fighting an insurgency that has like no no vehicles basically period like a few dirt bikes and trucks and things like that um you can understand why you would get rid of your anti-air capabilities but that is that, that's people getting entrenched in a sort of like a mentality it's kind of like sure. how um generals who were uh determining the uh like the uh it was at the m1903 springfield rifle is the bolt action rifle america went into with world war one and mm -hmm. i think two with well not some people might have had them in two but whatever yeah 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 they had a magazine cut off for uh volley fire like that was objectively obsolete at, at that point in history. Right. And it was not needed. Right. right. It's, it, it's, it's, I, it's somewhat similar to the uh, no anti-air defense capability mm -hmm. thing. You know, it's like 
who are you really trying to fight? Are you trying to be like an actual standing military or are you just trying to be sort of like a world police organization, which was the, the GWAT? It was literally just a global police initiative. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, in, to a huge extent. Yeah. It, a lot a lot of people say there's a marked difference between, like, for an example, the invasion of Iraq and then the occupation of Iraq. Like, oh, yeah. missions and in what you're doing, like, it's, it's night and day. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like Iraq... They started that war with tanks, air air capabilities. They got completely like leveled, you know, in a week. But that remnant force was still there, and it becomes it literally becomes a policing action because they're insurgents, right? Hiding in with the population. Mm. The population right. is sometimes supporting them, you know. Maybe sometimes they're not, but most of the time they are supporting the insurgency. Let's let's face it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so what was your uh, role? I, I don't know if the Canadian military is like MOSs or whatever, but did you have like a specific role or was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not called uh, MOD. It's um, I can't remember the acronym off the top of my head, but there's like a little tag and then uh, like a five digit number that determines what it is. So I joined okay. uh, I joined infantry just because, like I was saying earlier, I wanted to be the most effective, you know that I could be on right. my own boots on the ground, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. Like, um, they do, they do have like a testing, uh, system that's similar to the ASVAP, but it's, again, it's not called the ASVAP. Mm, okay. Sure. Sort of just like basic math questions and then like some like spatial reasoning stuff. And I remember on that test too, there was like a, a big page. It's like, Oh, write down every single drug that you've ever done in your life. So, you know, <laughs> just lie on it. It's easy. Right. <laughs> but, um, I got my, um, I remember getting my test back and the guy, uh, my, uh, recruiter, he was like, um, yeah, man, like you can basically do like whatever you want to. Cause I mean, like I, I got, I got good enough grades in school. It wasn't challenging at all, but school sucked. So I, I didn't want to do anything like that. I wanted to do something that's, you know, more real boots on the ground, working with my hands, things like that. I'm like, no, man, I just want to do the infantry. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I am. Right. <laughs> and he's like, all righty. So um, and that was in um, that was in the springtime of 2019. And I didn't actually get to join until um, the uh, end of August of 2019 because of that um, summertime work thing I was talking about. Uh-huh. I, I don't know why, but they just, didn't contact me they didn't i guess they don't take people in during that little block of time oh sure sure well yeah they're probably just they've got a glut of labor for whatever they're already trying to uh, yeah there's there's um, slots with regular people already enlisted people yeah exactly there's um like the courses like had i had started the process maybe like two months earlier let's say i could have got in and got my training done in 2019 but that just wasn't the case Mm. Right. 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 Hmm. Yeah. So, um, training training starts with something called a BMQ, it's basic military qualification. So, um, actually, th there's one slight caveat I want to throw on that as well. The another difference between the uh, regular force and the reserve force is the reserve force because it's a part time uh, force. All of our training gets cut down to like what is what they determine to be the bare essentials, right? 
So, oh, okay, sure. Like a, a typical basic training thing would be like, uh, I don't know, a 10 or 12 week long period where like for the first four or five weeks, you don't even go home. You're, you're still there. But for me personally, the, I had a part-time VMQ. So it would start on uh, Friday evening and then it would end in uh, around Sunday afternoon. So I would just get like um, a little weekend of, you know, basic training bullshit and then really? just go back to, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you go do your job in the week yeah, and then come back again on the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that'd be wild. That that's it such, was... I mean, <laughs> I, I've got so many questions like for, for you, that'd be weird. Cause you're going from like one environment to not to a military environment and then back to life. And then for the drill instructors, like the whole, the whole concept is they try to break you down. Yeah. Like, and, and, and that's easier to do with a multi-week uh, window of time. But if you've yeah. got them for a weekend and then they jump back right in the world and they can go run down to the store and buy a tasty freeze whenever they want, <laughs> you got to start all over again come Friday. Yeah. It, um, they, like the first, um, the first weekend, it wasn't really intense because, you know, that's, I think it was the the right approach to go with is like everyone there is like new to this. Like every once in a while, there's someone who was previously uh, in the military who had been out long enough that they have to redo the training again. But it was a good slow introduction to all that stuff. And then the second weekend, like that's when the screaming and things like that, mind games, things like that, impossible timings, uh, right. bullshit tasks, like making up stuff. Like it's, this is literally, this is, um, the instructors get taught this in the uh, instructor instruction. It doesn't matter like if someone has a perfectly clean room, make something up. Right. Because you're just you're just supposed to be like harassing them essentially, you know, mental sure. like mentally challenging them. Because like like how they say, if you can't handle this, how are you gonna handle real combat? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. You just can't replicate it exactly, so you have to make stuff up. Yeah. Now mine did go over uh, the winter time, so it did actually go over a Christmas break. So I did get a. Um, it was I worked uh, four days um, up until Christmas Eve, so I uh, I got I think I got off like midday on Christmas Eve or the day before, and then I had uh, the twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and I was back for the twenty seventh, and that was a five day thing. And for me personally, because I was in high school when I was doing that, it kind of fucked up my uh, my break time. Which you know, I didn't I didn't mind it that much. It was kind of, it was kind of fun. I I will admit, like people who like you know break down and cry or like you're like oh the basic stuff oh it's so hard like oh they're yelling at us and things like that. Some of those people like do actually leave on their own. Some of them oh, stay, okay. but they yeah I mean like. I think uh, my course started with, um, I think it was like 41 or 42 people. Um, we had some people voluntarily leave, like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, which th that's, that's another benefit about the reserves. Right. You, you don't want to, you're not locked into a contract. Assuming you don't sign a contract, you are not locked into a contract. So you can just not show up or you could, you could just do that until like they send you a letter saying like, hey, uh, what's up, bro? 
you have our deer and you're not showing up and then you can right. just even leave from there or just fill out the uh whatever paperwork you have to do to get out to get out early but a lot of people we had um go down with injuries and things like that like uh i don't know tearing things and things like mm. that because of the winter sure. time there's a bit of ice on the ground so you know it's a little bit uh well it's a little bit dangerous but you know not really just right if you know how to walk you're not really going to slip on the ice with a rucksack on it's a little bit harder but if, at least then you can fall under your back and you're not going to hurt yourself right right <laughs> it, that's interesting that is just hmm so, so one other, one one problem with that training that style of training is though is uh, something that uh, I learned there called skill thing. So like, if you have a perishable skill or perishable uh, knowledge, right? If you learn something on weekend three, and then you go to work or go to school or I don't know, go home and do nothing uh, for those five days, and then you come back, there the the likelihood of you forgetting that stuff is pretty high. So they would typically like do a test review like as soon as we got back and then the test would be like the next morning or something like that. Ah, sure. Sure. But when you start to get into the more technical stuff, like the more real military training and things like that, working with it, explosives, let's say for example, explosive ordnance disposal, because that's uh-huh. one of, that was one of the uh, mission taskings of my unit, um, right. which was optional. You didn't necessarily have to do it, but um, like I know people there like, it's completely understandable. Like this is the first time you're ever like holding C4 or something like that. And this is the first time you're ever having to wrap like debt cord around it. I don't even know how it works. So like, right. I, I can't describe it accurately, but you can understand how easy it would be to forget that sort of thing without continual practice. Right. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> and so high risk too. It's not like, it's not like if you mess up, you're just, you know, get oh, to do yeah. it again. Yeah, no, no, no. You, like we've had, um, we were doing a few ranges and, and sometimes the, the explosives, they just don't go off. It's just like a mechanical failure. It's not like it's someone's fault. Like it's typically, it's just, it's like too cold out or something like that. So we sure. have like, because um, uh, I said EOD was a part of our mission testing. It's something called a uh, pioneer. So basically it's like, it's basically a bunch of combat engineer stuff, but you're doing it as an infantryman. And it's it's not as in depth. Like I don't mean like uh, bridge building, mm-hmm. or uh, you're not working with like pontoons or making extremely like fortified positions. Sure. It's, it's it's basically your infantry with that tool in your tool belt to do those things. Gotcha. Okay. Because apparently at some point in history, like the combat engineer didn't exist. The combat engineer was the infantryman. And then they made that distinction. Right. That, that's, that's my understanding of, I don't know. I don't know how correct it is, but um, we're sort of just kind of like taking those skills back. And they are like genuinely useful things because uh, it's, it's like breaching. It's like explosive breaching, mm-hmm. learning to learning to check for booby traps on doors. Which is, oh, okay, which sure. Is, which is applicable to the infantry more than, let's say, building some kind of like I don't know the name for it, but you build this sort of contraption zipline thing to move equipment across rivers and things like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Right. Okay, so all you're saying all of that kind of falls under the engineer umbrella, but some of it is so close to an infantryman's job that it makes sense to have infantrymen yeah. be skilled in doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, 
Like I do, I do think the military is pretty retarded with a lot of the decisions that it makes. But uh, that one, I I do truly believe was a good decision. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be like standing at a door that's locked, and you're like, oh, did we bring an engineer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like for me personally, um, like I'm I'm pretty sure it would have gotten covered a little bit more in the regular force infantry training. But again, because mine's more condensed, and it's a sure. little bit of it is on the weekends. Uh, if you do it in the summer, it's a full long course and things like that. But my um, my like we what we call C, CQB, we call it urban ops, which is the blanket term for any operation in an urban area. But everyone just calls CQB urban ops, so I'm going to keep right. doing it. Um, as far for breaching as we would get taught as just regular infantry non pioneer people. Um, it would just be sort of like look at the door, see how the hinges open, what side you should stack up on so you can flow into the room better. And you basically just kick the door open or mm. push it open, one of the two like that. So sure. we were never taught how to deal with um, properly uh, locked obstacles. And um, I, ne I never did anything real. I, like everything I did was like solely training, but um we wouldn't have the tools to like deal with a locked obstacle. The assault pioneers guys, they would. And typically what, what, how they would, how they said that they would do it. If we actually had to go do this stuff for real, mm -hmm. we would, um, we have a, a thing called section. It's like a squad, it's like the same size. It's like eight to 10 men, depending on how many are there. And it can be less because of like, you know, <sighs> retention issues in the military. Um, right, we'll, talk, right. we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> they said they would integrate that guy in there, and then we would basically kind of do like the zero dark thirty, like knock on the helmet, breacher up, and things like that. Sure, in an actual sure. operation. Just making a note here. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um. I otherwise I'll forget. <laughs> I understand that. Like, I, I have a lot of great ideas, and then, you know, they just sort of flutter out there if I don't put them down. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, during the day, you know, I'll have a great idea, and, yeah, if I don't write it down, 10 minutes later, I'm like, man, what was that great? I can't, I don't remember what that idea was. And then, then you start to get upset at yourself. Ugh. Right. What am I doing here? The recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, so so you you were... So I'm assuming you weren't, but whether you were or not, um, what's our reserves ever deployed or they activated? Is that the right terminology or what's, what's it the would, um, there? No, I don't, I don't have a full understanding of it. I have a pretty good one. Just basically hearing from other people, um, who have been on deployments and things like that. Sure. So my, my understanding is so, so the greater Canadian military is broken down into five divisions, one to five. Uh, and I think I think one's in on um, is around Ottawa. Five is just um, the east coast of Canada, the uh, Maritime, and five division is exclusively reservists. That you will no one who is in five div is a full time regular force member unless they are attached to it. And still, then they're technically not a part of five division. But um, the way it, for every other division, they have um, regular force units and reserve units. So the way it okay. works, you kind of divide the country up into thirds, and then uh, one third for one year would be geographically thirds is what I mean. Um, one third would um, be eligible to be deployed with 
other units because like I know we had some forces in um, Mali. Uh, we mm -hmm. didn't actually have we didn't have any infantrymen there, no, no infantry at all, which was kind of weird for you know a, like a combat zone. But um, there's a, a I can't remember Latvia. Latvia is another deployment. It's like near Ukraine, and mm -hmm. I I, okay. I think we I think we have um, guys in Ukraine. We've had them there since like 2014 doing like training stuff and things like that. So sure. one one year, these certain poop group of people will be eligible to be deployed, and then it moves to the next year, and then it will eventually cycle back, right? Every three years, I believe. Sure. So I had um, I had two guys from my unit uh, in uh, in Latvia during the whole COVID shit. So um, yeah, they were they were kind of trapped over there, but I mean, honestly, they had a much better time than anyone here. In Canada did. <laughs> Right. <laughs> huh. But yeah, okay. you're never you're never you're never forced to be on a deployment because I think there was something in the uh, in the Iraq war where they kind of forced National Guard members to be deployed over there. I think mm -hmm. there was some kind of controversy about that. At the end of the day, it's a for a reservist. It's like always a choice if you want to work, if you don't want to work. Interesting. Huh. To an ex to an extent, if you like, literally never show up, like they're gonna kick you out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you, so you could be a reservist, and then, um, however it would happen, you would be assigned to be activated and deployed, and you could just say no, and they pick somebody yeah. else. I guess huh. so. Yeah. I mean, like, if you got that opportunity and you said no, you're a fucking retard because that's cool. a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like, I wanted to be deployed. It just it was it wasn't gonna happen just because of timing, the coronavirus, my training, and the fact that I wanted to get out too. I sure. wanted to get deployed, but it was impossible for me to actually get deployed. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And, and at, I can't imagine, but that that would reflect on you professionally. Like if you're in the military, especially a combat arm and you have the opportunity to deploy, and you're like, well, actually I'm going to stay home. Um, not like, cause my wife is expecting or something, but just like, I'm just going to stay home and not deploy. Then yeah. they're like, well, why are you here? Like, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I have that question. I had a, that question for a lot of people in my unit too, and the the answer to that question was college money. But um, <laughs> oh, sure, sure, yeah, I can yeah, see that. Like, but then, what value is the military getting out of you if if you're a combat unit, if you're a combat soldier, and you I don't, don't want to do what you're there for, then maybe get a some other MOS or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well. Well, again, a lot of that was just the time that I was in from 2019 to um, like just last month of uh, sure. January 2023. Um, I can really only count um, like on my two hands the times that I did, you know, actual infantry training with my unit. Like I can count that on one hand because it, it, it literally happened like twice. And I like almost froze to death on one of them because well, it's, it's, partially, it's partially my fault, but it is partially I'm blaming my section commander. <laughs> yeah. So were your was uh, I mean I just think of Canada as a great winter wasteland. Was, was the training further north, or was it just during the winter and and it, that's the way it is up there? So for me, I was in five divs, so I'm based out of the Maritimes. If you you ever been to the Maritimes, especially Nova Scotia. I'll dox okay. myself a little bit more. I'm in Nova Scotia, but um, sure. in the winter time, we have um, really uh, wet winters. 
So, you know, it's still like, you know, minus like five or something like that. Not too cold, but it's, it's wet. You're going to get wet. It's going to be right. like super, it's super humid. Like, again, surprisingly humid for the wintertime. The temperature goes up a little bit. There's so much fog in the forest, you can't see anything. So I did have, um, I had an instructor, one of the instructors I really liked. He said that we are training in like one of the toughest environments to train in on earth, like straight up. So you get, you get cold, sorry, you get wet and you get cold, you're going to freeze and die. So, and it's super huh. simple to do it there because it's just, it's constantly raining. Like, like there was like one weekend we got like 200 uh, millimeters of rain and now that's 20 centimeters, which is like two thirds of a foot. So if you can put that yeah. into a uh, context. Wow. <laughs> eight inches. That's eight inches right there. Right, right. That's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was um it was actually really good really good training. The only problem is with uh, the training in Nova Scotia, there's really only one base you can do it. And um it's so small that if you go there three or four times out into the training area, you can get to a point where you're recognizing landmarks and you technically don't even have to use your map and compass to navigate. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's doing that still bites people in the ass. It happens all the time. So, you know, you, you can't get too cocky. But at a certain point, you see the same, you see four corners so many times, you see lazy D so many times, you know exactly <laughs> where you are. Right. Yeah, right over there is, you know, where this happened. And I remember when... This yeah, yeah, over literally. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good point. Which is which is funny because um at least my perception is Canada has so much open land in other places. Yeah. Untouched land, but it's so far, I'm sure that that's that's the issue there is the Yeah, exactly. Or the movement the, won't happen. Yeah, so like the regular force people who work on those bases are going out into those training areas all the time. Like um, there's this one base in New Brunswick. It's called um, it's called Gagetown because it's in uh, Gagetown. Um, mm. <laughs> there's um, there's a regular force unit from I think the second division who lives there. They're two RCR second uh, Royal Canadian Regiment. And this is all stuff you can Google by the way. This isn't any secret information at all. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> But they, they, they have access to Gagetown and the training area people say is like one twelfth size of France, which is extremely big. Whoa. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a place you can't you don't really recognize the landmarks unless you're like in the like the uh what's the name? Uh when you're actually like on the base, you know, with the buildings and things like that, not out in the stitch somewhere. Right, right, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's also like terrain problems too. Like I'm going to use, for example, that, that base I was talking about in Nova Scotia, the ground there, because infantrymen got to dig a trench, right? There's uh, the area that we set up our defensive on super sandy and we could actually dig a proper like six foot, six foot deep by six feet wide by three feet in depth trench. Right. Right. Whereas in, um, in Gagetown, well, depending on where you are in Gagetown, but a lot of it is super rocky. So like, like personally, we didn't even really need to use, we didn't even use pickaxes digging the sand back in Nova Scotia, but in Gagetown, you need a pickaxe just to get a shell, shell scrape to get like six inches in the ground. So at least you have, you're a little <laughs> bit covered from, you know, 
mortars and artillery and just gunshots in general. Right, right. Is it like uh, like big rocks or little? Are they big enough that you can like uh, scrape a little a little depression and then build up rocks around you? I never really um, got around to doing a lot of that, but I, from what I think it is, um, it's uh, it's a lot of like smaller rocks. It's sort of like clay, sure. essentially. Oh, there, there, there are there are areas that have bigger rocks, but most of those are just uh, places that have been dug up. Sort so they're sort of just like a, a pit in the ground or just a, a clearing area for vehicles and things like that. Sure. Well, and also I guess if you're if you're building a trench or something to protect yourself from an explosion kind of attack, you probably wouldn't want to pile rocks around yourself anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be dumb. Bullets maybe, but not not a mortar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it is crazy. Like, e- like even getting that six inches into the ground will, um, it will increase your survivability so much. Even though you, it, you don't feel like it will at all. Sure. I imagine. Again, I haven't done anything, but um, you know, like straight up, you just have to look at like footage from Ukraine. Like just those, those really sucky things that you don't want to do will save your life. Right. At least for five minutes until your trench gets assaulted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, priorities change when bullets are flying. You're, something you never do, you choose to do in your life, you're like, well, if I do this, I might live. And now it's it's a yeah. big, big priority. <laughs> exactly. Huh. So, uh, what yeah i guess it's a little difficult i'm obviously i'm just abuzz with curiosity about the differences between american and canadian but but i know little about american and nothing about canadian and you know uh probably less about american than than canadian so it's hard to draw those comparisons oh you know i i spent a lot of time you know just on youtube looking at things like that because like sure like not not to get simpy but like the Marine Corps, like, oh, yeah, they have the smallest budget. Oh, and they do the most with it. And that is kind of true. Like, sure. the, uh, the actual, like, webbing gear, the plate carriers, and their chest raids, and their sort of, like, battle belts and things like that that they use, their helmets mm-hmm. as well. And just the cut of their uniform, too, where, like, all the pouches and uh, sewn-in uh, pockets on their uh, sleeves and pants are. It's really good. So, like, I do kind of try to, like, study them in a way. I do it for mm-hmm. anything, just Sure. Like, because again, if I if I want to be the best that I can be, I got to see what like other people are doing, right? Because right. I don't I don't want to go in with just my perspective and the perspective of others. The the perspective of by others, I mean the people in my unit or that I work with. And granted, they're they a lot of them do have a lot of experience and a lot of them do know what they're talking about. But just having more information doesn't hurt especially once you start to look at enough information to be able to tell when someone doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about or the gear that they buy. Sucks. Right. Right. And then you can make fun of them behind their back. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he, here's one. Uh, do you have separate army, Navy, air force, Marines, etc., over in Canada or no? So we have, um, the army, the air force and the Navy. Oh, okay. Um, it's just that we have like our um our specialized units who tech like like for example jtf2 they're kind of like our equivalent of uh delta force in, okay. in terms of like mission set and things like that and then we have um 
We have CSOAR, the Canadian Special Operations Regiment, which they mirror the uh, Green Berets. Now, okay. um, there's like particular small groups in like the Navy who would who do like shipboarding stuff, and I imagine there's there's probably a unit that does like something that like Navy SEALs typically do. But a lot of that information isn't it's just not as publicly available as it is in the states. Like the states, all their you know the advertising they have a they have a well, obviously, they have a much bigger budget, so they ha they can allocate more money to you know showing themselves off. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's it is Army, Navy, and Air Force, and like in my unit, I had um, higher ranking people in the chain of command who are in the Navy, but they're just working with the Army. Why? I don't know. They just are interesting, huh? Do you, do you think that's because you're in the reserves, and that wouldn't be the case in the if you were regular I, th I, I think I think it being the reserves makes it more likely to happen I can't remember I don't think I ever saw anything like that when I worked with the uh, the regular force but I do imagine it happens somewhere especially in like an office building or something like that where you know it's more like mm. bureaucratic stuff going on than actual work right right <laughs> yeah <laughs> not not that I don't have my fair share of like bureaucrat nightmares even when i'm supposed to be out and doing stuff but you know. <laughs> yeah no kidding huh yeah the uh uh the the example i heard a lot of when uh, guys go to the range in, in the you know they're they go out to the, for a range day or whatever and at the end of the day they're like well we've got all this ammo left and if we're going to turn it back in, we have to count every round. So yeah. let's shoot it all. <laughs> it's literally true. I, like, I've been in that situation before, too. And right. there's sometimes, depending on who's running the range, you could run the range efficiently and not end up in that situation. Or you could have a plan in case you end up in that situation to get sure. some more training out of it as opposed to just being like, dude, I just look, here's the whole mag. Just dump it, bro. <laughs> and we do try to even when we are doing that kind of stuff it, it wasn't just you know dump the mag like i think i did that maybe like once it's called like a stance check it's just to you know see if you can fucking shoot good and i can shoot pretty damn good so it's right. super easy 556 five, is really easy to shoot if you right <laughs> but if you think it's not you're like no offense you're a pussy bro <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but we would like um, hurt yeah yeah, like man. whatever. Dude, it's a 55 grain bullet. Assuming that's what you're shooting. It could be a 62 grain bullet, but it's not very heavy. Right, right. And like the like the rifle we use, we use um it's a M16 derivative, so it's an AR15, the C7A2. So it's uh Oh, yeah, yeah. It's got the uh 20 inch barrel uh H bar as well, but it has um we have um green plastic handguards on it. Uh, like the two detachable ones with the slip rings, like the older M16s. Okay, sure. Before they put rails on it and stuff like yep. that. And then we have a, a collapsing buttstock on the end. So when you look at it, it sort of looks like the ass end of an M4 with the front end of an M16. But right, right. For the time that we adopted it, it was very, very forward thinking. Like um, our our initial rifle, because we got them with uh, carry handles initially. And then we went to the C7A1 and the C8A1. The C8 is our M4. It has, I think, okay. it's, yeah, I think it has a 15.7 inch barrel. I don't know why that that's equal to something even in millimeters, but you know, 
I'm talking about guns. I'm not using metric. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we adopted like a, um, a weaver scope mount on the top for our, um, Elkan C79 scopes. Uh, okay. So like sure. Weaver's like just ever so slightly different than Pichettini. You can put, you can put weaver stuff on Pichettini. I don't, I imagine it wouldn't hold zero, but you can't put Pichettini stuff onto uh weaver rail. It just, it would okay. not work. Sure. But then sure. with some, just to add a little extra confusion, we have a little tri rail on the front of the gun to put like lasers and flashlights and things like that. And that's in Pichettini. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> so it just uh, uh let's see, what what could you then uh, you should chamber it in like seven six two by thirty nine and just have a real mashup of, of components. Yeah. <laughs> I um there was one time we were doing some urban operations and this is this is before I knew for a fact that it was a Weaver rail I I had an optic for our off of uh my airsoft gun and uh, I wanted to throw it on top and I'm like oh damn it's not working and I'm like I'm looking at the tri rail I'm like oh yeah I'm gonna put my aim point T2 out at the end of my barrel on my gun yeah <laughs> it fit I didn't leave right. it on but it fit. <laughs> Uh, the what do they call it? Uh, I think scout rifles or something like a, a lot of their. Uh, yeah, I've seen bolt guns with a with a uh, no eye relief scope mounted very far forward. And it's like yeah. a scout rifle. Yeah, you got the ultimate scout rifle, twenty inches away or twenty. Yeah, uh, twenty plus. Yeah, and we um, there's um, there's a manufacturer. They made these um, little sections of pigatinny that you could put onto the uh, detachable plastic handguards for like vertical grips and things like that. Um, I say vertical sure. grips and vertical grips only, maybe a flashlight, but you have the tri-rail up front, so you want it far forward. Anyways, um, I'm saying that because they don't hold zero, obviously. They rattle all the time. Right. Like, and I had people that are like, like, like I'm not shit talking them. They don't, they don't understand it because they're, they're right. ignorant to it. Right. Right. Sure. I can, I can personally laugh at them because it's okay because I know, but I'm not going to be like, oh, you fucking retard. They're like, oh, why don't you put it on top of there? I'm like, ah, oh, man, it won't hold zero. Like, I won't know what I'm shooting at. Right. The crazy thing is I've seen a shitload of pictures from Afghanistan of, like, some Canadian soldiers and even some American soldiers with their, uh, like, their PET 2s, their laser modules on something that doesn't hold zero, which is, right. I don't know, it's just weird to me. <laughs> right. Huh. The you, uh, see, you see you see a lot of stuff like that too, like not even just like uh, attaching stuff to the guns, just uh, really retarded ways of uh, like manipulating the gun. Like they uh, for our training thing to actually use it, they don't want you to um, use the bolt release on the rifle, right? So, I mean, like oh, you, you sure you you shot an AR-15, right? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever in your life? missed hitting the bolt release with your thumb uh i i really it never locks open for me oh yeah i, I usually end on a on a full chamber oh okay okay yeah okay. yeah but I, um, I don't do like drills i just mess around so oh okay that, that's valid that's valid yeah but, but um, i yeah i see i i like if i'm sympathetic to the philosophy that you get a little more forward speed if you utilize the charging handle as opposed to the bolt release, that's what I've heard. So I'm like, well, I can understand that. So if I was to be in that situation, 
unless I was in a screaming hurry, I'd probably use the charging handle anyways. Yeah, but I've personally, I've, I've never to... heard of that. Yeah, the doctrine is to use the charging handle, but it's fucking okay. wrong. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna pussyfoot around the idea. It's fucking wrong. It's retarded that they uh, they think that we're gonna miss the uh, the bolt release because you know it's a ping pong paddle, right? There's the button that you press that will release the bolt, and then the one beneath that. Cause it's a part of the same assembly, but they serve two different purposes. The other one you push it in, and that's to lock the bolt back to the rear. Right. Right. And that is a that is an actual taut drill. For when you got double feeds or something like that and you do your cock lock drop so they they understand that you can put your thumb on right. a button that is i think 90 percent smaller than right. the uh, actual bolt release but no 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 you have to drop the bolt with the charging handle otherwise you're 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 doing your drill wrong and you're wrong i had a guy um i didn't like this guy at all but um this guy actually literally shot a entire box of my personal ammo when we were just having fun out at the range without asking me either. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Asshole. Um, but we're, we're showing that our weapons are clear, you know, that's reasonable. So we lock our bolts to the rear, throw the gun on safe. You throw the gun on safe. If you know what you're doing, if you know what you're doing, you'd actually leave it off safe because you know that the gun can't go off, but you know, proper sure. safety and things like that, throw the gun on safe. Um, and they come over your shoulder, they stick their uh, pinky in the chamber in the magwell, and uh, they say clear, and then you drop the bolt and you fire it and you're done. And I, I hit the bolt release, did it, and he's like, do your drills properly. And I didn't say anything, because obviously, like, why the fuck would I say anything? But in my head, I'm like, oh, right, fucking retard, man. Can't <laughs> the, stand the, doctrine, the doctrine assumes that under stress, I can hit the small part of the bolt, the bolt yeah. hold open, but I cannot hit the large part. <laughs> no, no, I actually can't. It's crazy. Every time I've come up to do, do it, I miss just the front of the rifle or the bu the button, and then I reach back and I reach back too far and I reach forward and I just keep I keep bouncing you just, just popping right it. over. Yeah. No, I don't know where it is. <laughs> Even wow. like you can come up hit it with your thumb. That's what I do. And like there's been times that like, just to try it out, I do it like uh, the Marines kind of teach it with like that karate chop thing or whatever they do where they slap it. Oh, okay, sure, sure. But then, though, that, that same person, if someone's using the rifle left-handed, wouldn't get mad if someone comes up and uh, uses their middle finger to hit the bolt release when they're doing a reload. Because I worked with um, one left-handed guy. That's what he would do. Which and that was allowed? Powerful. Yeah, it was fine. I didn't listen to him. I literally just didn't listen to him. I just kept hitting the bolt release because I'm like, right. I'm not going right. to make myself work slower. I, I the I'm spending so much time talking about it because it really fucking pisses me off. It's it's just it's just one symptom of a very large the very large problem that is bureaucracy, right? Because oh, you have to do it the way you're told. Sure, sure. Like there's one yeah. uh, there's one stoppage drill for our C9, and our C9 is uh, an M249, um, the FN Mini Me. Mm -hmm. So we did a stoppage. I know in the Americans, if it the bolt goes forward, like they will just rack it to the rear to bring the action back. And they'll look for uh, like a spent casing or a live round that came out in the the um, the belt link. Okay. Come out and they'll keep firing there. But anytime we have a stoppage with the C9, we have to completely unload it. So like rack it back, put it on safe, open the top cover, take out the belt. Oh wow. Which yeah yeah I mean like that doing that process and then reloading it when you're ready to fire. That process will clear the gun. Sure. 
but the likelihood of that being necessary is in my eyes pretty low because i i did more shooting with blanks than i did with live ammunition and blanks with the c9 suck ass like the gun just straight up doesn't work half the time but with live ammunition like it's always it's always worked fine with me except I was apparently I was pushing the cartridges too far to the right, so I caused a bunch of failures to feed on my behalf, which was kind of goofy. And you can you can also put the rifle magazine into it, so you can feed from magazines when you run out of belts. But that just never worked for me. Like I did like oh, okay. one or two rounds, and it would just stop. I believe that that's just an inherent design problem with the gun, though. I believe. Yeah, I. I've heard that some, I don't know why exactly, but a lot of people just don't care for it. But yeah, I, I totally understand it too. Like I don't care for it. Like, does it work? Yeah. When it does. Um, right. And I, I understand why of... they don't update too, because it's pretty expensive to get a whole new machine gun. And is the, be the, is the overall value of getting a new machine gun worth it in the army's eyes? No, not really. I understand that. And, but me being the guy who's out there, I want to obviously be going out with the best <laughs> stuff I can. If you take a step back, big picture, you're like, I see why you're doing this. But in the moment, you're like, okay, yeah. what's yeah. up? <laughs> yeah, and I will not I'll, I will not ever stop saying what's up. Right, right. Huh. Yeah, I think uh, – well, I haven't thought about this in a while. But I think there's a couple other um, platforms that will accept a belt and a magazine. But I can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I can right think now. of some, but that it's not really re not necessarily yeah. relevant. Yeah. yeah, but but just it's it'd be I can understand how it would cause problems. Yeah, you know, yeah. Feeding, feeding from the feeding from the belt duty. is fine. Yeah, the yeah. belt is fine. It's just it's just the angles or whatever, and also they're kind of old too. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. The. Uh, yeah. So the the. Um, what do you call it? The Elcan site? Yeah. That's yeah, pick, or that's a Weaver? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. It's the Elcan C79. It's not the, the DR, which uh, is pretty uh, prevalent on the uh, secondhand market. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's not really mm. that good. But um, right, right. One, one annoying thing, one annoying bureaucracy I can complain about with that optic is so it's the, the C79 optic. Initially, it was just the C9 optic because it's a machine gun optic. It weighs like over a pound, straight up. It's from the 80s. And they, and the military was going to buy it explicitly for the machine gun. And like right. even the American military, they still use it on some of the 249s and 240Bs and things like that. Mm, okay. But then someone, I don't know who, but you know, fucking the, the great idea fairy struck and it's like, hey, we can put this on our rifles too. And it's like, yeah, like. I will admit, I like having that magnification, mm. but for like a fucking pound, especially right. especially in the current year, like come on, man. and like right. our, like this, the C seven is like ten like ten pounds with it on, like that's a service rifle that weighs almost as much as an M one Durand. Right when it when yeah, it first yeah. came out, it was like six and a half pounds, and I know they did changes to it, but you know it doesn't have to be that heavy. It can be like eight pounds. Right, pounds matter. <laughs> Spoken like a true grunt. Yeah, no, especially <laughs> for me, like, um, like the heaviest I've ever been in my life was 155 pounds, and when I was doing the training, I was I was around that, but sure. like, 
I'm wearing like 20 pounds of armor, 10 pounds of web gear on top of that, even though five pounds of that is the, the, the tactical vest itself. Right. Uh, I, I think, uh, I think Nathan from the Seaburn podcast, uh, beat that subject to death. It's literal fucking garbage. I hate it with a passion. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's 40 pounds there, another 10 pounds with the rifle and then like 70 pounds with the rucksack. So like, fuck, that's literally as much as me. Right. Right. So I feel, I feel like I feel validated when I complain about that sort of stuff. Like I'm not trying to completely destroy myself here, even though I, my back is a little fucked up because of this. Yeah, I, I often, uh, I, I haven't looked into it, but I've just thought about the difference between what a soldier carries now and what a soldier carried through history. Because so often, technology or developments or whatever have been like um, creating the same capabilities in a lighter format. And then what usually ends up is uh, you just carry more of it. Exactly. You know, like when, when the transition happened from 30-odd-6 uh, to... Uh, was it directly? I think it was directly to five five six for America. I was, you know, it was it was three oh eight. It went to three oh eight first, or well seven six two by fifty one. Oh whatever. yeah, you're you're right. You're right. My mistake. Yeah. So so when it went from the big caliber to large caliber, all the infantry were like, oh great, lighter weight. No, you just have a larger loadout is all. Yeah, and, and but that, that's important too. though. That's that's how you that's how you win the firefight. You got to have more ammo. That's why the right. uh, like the, the new army rifle, like the six point eight, whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, it's oh, by 51, yeah, I think. Yeah. Like, well, logistically speaking, um, you're carrying less ammo, so you're not going to win the firefight. Uh, it's designed to beat body armor against countries that, you know, we're not fighting anytime soon. So let's be real. They adopted that body ar- or the, that uh, cartridge and rifle to be able to defeat the uh, body armor of American citizens. Like, people need to recognize that fact. Oh, right, right. No, that's a good point. Because American yeah. citizen, the private American citizen, is the number one uh, holder of body armor in the world as a collective. It's more than oh, like, really? um, yeah, I saw an infographic about it a little while ago. I can't remember exactly how it was, but I know yeah. it's like more, the the uh, the populace owns more body armor than like Russia and China combined. Probably American, uh, like the American military combined as well. Crazy. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I okay. Yeah, I see your point. Then, yeah, that the uh, yeah when the soldiers in Iraq, especially after the the first invasion, and maybe even not then, um, probably ev- hardly ever saw body armor. It was more of the lightweight, you know, shoot and scoot kind of response in general. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. For which, for which five five six or seven six two by thirty nine is perfectly fine you know yeah can, yeah can handle it yeah and huh. nato did make one little problem i was um i was reading the black hawk down book uh, it was like the 20th anniversary edition mm. can't remember who it was but someone was complaining about um how they wish i, I can't remember the the, the uh, i know gary gordon i can't remember the uh, other guy who got the medal of honor i can't remember his name off the top of my head but he was using an m14 which seven fits two by 51 full power right. cartridge and the guy who I was reading his section was saying, oh, I wish I had that because it would actually stop the people. The problem is NATO, uh, I, think that, I think the designation for it, I know the American designation for it is like M80, 
is it 885A1 something like that, whatever the designation for the cartridge is. But it's okay. a semi it's a semi armor piercing cartridge designed to like like if it hits armor, it'll kind of, you know, fuck it up a little bit more than like the previous like M93. Oh, okay, uh, sure. Which is like the 55 grain. Right. The thing is when that ammo would hit a unarmored target, it would actually explode and fragment in the body the way it's designed to. But when you have that a semi-armor-piercing armor bullet, it doesn't break up as easily in the unarmored body. Like, are you oh. getting shot still? Yeah, you're still getting shot. The bullet's just... It, the bullet could be a little bit more effective as well. I see what you're saying. The, the attempt at a hybrid gave him kind of the worst of both worlds in a certain, kinda, to yeah. a certain point. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Huh. I will not speak again. That's like the third time I've said it. I haven't shot anyone. I didn't do anything. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. did. I did. I did um, air quotes. Coronavirus relief, which was uh, uh, like nothing, but you know. Hmm. Oh, okay. So we could sounds go like an actual. Uh, not what, is that considered a deployment, or is it just like a what, what's that called? Well, um, I don't relief. I don't know if they would. It, it was a deployment. I don't know if they would give it a different term because it was in in our own country, but I don't think so. So I'm pretty sure it is a deployment. So I was the Canadian Canadian military wide. It was uh, called Operation Laser. Hmm. Really cool name. Yeah, you know, yeah. but you know, <laughs> that was my first thought too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was their response to the coronavirus pandemic. And I mean, like, if you have a fucking brain on your head, you you already know all the shit. I don't need right, to fucking right. preach to you about, you know, jabs and things like that. But um, for me personally, my, uh, th there were actually, there were actually two op lasers. There was one and two. Now I couldn't get onto the first one because you had to have your uh, basic military qualification complete, but the shutdown happened on the last oh. weekend of my BMQ. Oh, so no. I was, yeah, I was left in the dust for that. And then in the, the, they started training again. I got finished. And then uh, they're like, hey, we're starting up another one. And I'm like, sure, I'll do it. I'm in high school right now. Does that matter? No. So I got, I was getting paid to go to high school, which is really dope. Right. And then, um, and then someone at like, I guess like the finance officer, someone in charge of finances at my unit, they're like, okay, well, we have these like, like 14, 16 guys here who are standing by doing nothing. And we have work in our building that needs to be done. So why why would we like bring in some other people on just day-to-day -day work when we can take these people on contract to come in and work? Mm. So then we started we started working in our uh, armories. And for, for me, it was nice. I got to miss more school, which was uh, as, uh, any second spent out of uh, public education, a.k.a. state-mandated psychological torture, is a win <laughs> in my eyes. Uh, not many people get paid by the military to go to school, but even no. fewer get paid to miss school. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I felt, I, I won't lie, I was really high on my horse then. Yeah. Nice. Huh. Yeah. But uh, yep. yeah, we did, we did that work. Um, and then they kind of just shuffled us around like how they would do it to someone on full-time summer employment because that time did hit. And then eventually I did get deployed. I got deployed to uh, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, which is like, fucking nothing there like like 90 percent of nova scotia is undeveloped like, right straight up right and then like like halifax the main city is like 
the biggest spot there. Yarmouth is like a fucking, I don't know, two hour drive or something from there. But huh. we showed up there to like, um, they, uh, they had it in a hockey rink. It was where they were just doing some testing and things like that. Um, and the, the, we only, we were there for seven days. We only worked the first three days because like straight up, they didn't need us. Like right. the prob right. the province made a call to the military for help. And I think there were like some, some of my buddies went to some other places and apparently they did a lot more work in than what we did. But for me personally, I, I sat next to a security guard who was already there. Um, right. I had, I had uh, someone kind of just pointing, telling someone where to go, even though it was, completely obvious where you were supposed to go. Right. Uh, I had someone who would be at the front of the building where an elevator was and would help people. And we, he, he got, he took one person in the whole time and then someone by the exit with a baseball pitch counter, just to count how many people came through the testing place. <laughs> oh my goodness. That'd be frustrating. You know, you yeah. just feel like you're, you're, why are we here? What are we doing? Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then they, um, and then the, the doctors there, whoever's in charge of the civilian charge of it on the civilian side, was like, "Oh, we well, don't really need you." And we're like, "Oh, okay." So you just kind of hung out at the hotel. It's a little bit of fun, and I got to miss more school too. So, right, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I, it makes me wonder if, um, I don't know if that works with the American reserves to go to be in high school while you're. Because I know you can join early. You can get like a waiver and join at seventeen. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know if you can if you can like, for example, go to reserve boot camp during the summer and then finish out your school year. I have no idea. I I don't I don't know how it works for the Americans. I know for the Canadians, um, you have to have um, grade ten like schooling completed or an equivalent of because uh, Quebec is a little bit different. Uh, their schooling system it. It goes uh, grade primary to grade 11, and then their grade 12, which they still have to do, is some kind of university course or some kind of bullshit mm. like that. But okay. um, you have to be 15, have your grade 10 or equivalent, and your parents' uh, consent to uh, join the reserves. And you can only do that to sure. the reserves. You can't, as a 15-year-old, if you meet all those things, you can't join the regular force. You can only oh. join the reserve force. Can, is, uh, can you join at 17, like in America, the, the regular force? Or does he have to, has to be 18? Not entirely sure. I, okay. think, it is, uh, I think it is 18. Um, but I don't see why it could not be 17. Because, I mean, there's 17 years. I, I think if you have your GED or whatever, you can go, you can go join. You might still need your parents' agreement. Sure. But I, that wasn't my personal situation, so I can't speak on it. Sure. Huh. <clears throat> Yeah, you mentioned uh, retention. What's uh, a retention er shit earlier? Okay. <laughs> like for the regular force, a lot of people uh, will just sign like they'll sign their initial three-year contract, and then most of them will just bounce right away. And it's you know it's for the same reasons that it is in the state, like you know PC culture, all that bullshit, sure. things like that. Just just on people being unsatisfied in their work environment. And um, well, for me, it was, uh, it was the whole coronavirus thing. I mean, like, like I said, so I, mm. I knew about it. I was, I followed Atlas news in December, 2019. Mm -hmm. I saw him posting about it in 2019. So I think there's like, 
for, for people who would end up seeing through the whole scam, it takes like three to four months. So if you knew about it in March, it would be uh, January, oh, February, sure. March, April. Yeah, you get what I mean. So I knew May about it earlier. June, so yeah. I, yeah, so I saw through it earlier. Um, gotcha. And uh, I mean, like I did see the writing on the wall. Like I knew the job was coming. Um, but I, uh, I don't know why. <laughs> Forge, I will, I will, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll come, I'll, oh my goodness, I'll come clean. Like I got, I got, I got two doses of the jab for our democracy. Um, right. And it was uh, the two worst mistakes in my entire life. Uh, nothing will ever top that because I fundamentally betrayed myself and what I believe in when I mm. had that happen to me. Sure. And I was, and I was, always, I was like, man, I'm not getting that shit. Man, they ain't putting that shit in my body. And then like the time came around and I just kind of let it happen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why I think a part of it is, um, I can't remember. I, there was like someone who's like in the tactical community on Instagram. It might've been like Fieldcraft survival or something like that. Not to throw them onto the bus, but they've said certain people who are a member of that organization have said really fucking stupid stuff. And I think it was one of them, uh, who said, uh, uh, loyalty over integrity, and mm. that is—I completely disagree with that because I—that's th- probably a contributing factor because no one around me—I was the only one who was really saying things like that, and no right. one was that. No one, no one I know personally put up a fight. I do know that you don't need a jab to join the Canadian military anymore, and just recently they started letting unjabbed soldiers uh, back to work. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, oh, interesting. Because they're fucking hurting hard because they've attacked right. their main demographic of people who would actually join up the military to go fucking fight. Because like at the end of the day, as an infantryman or just any combat arms, your job is to kill people. Like I'm not saying that. Whenever I say it to like uh, someone I meet or like a family member or something like that, I say it like I'm not over here being like, yeah, man. I'm one of Odin's fucking wolves. Till Van Halen, brother. Yeah. Like, not like that. Like, no, I recognize that my job, if I had to have done it, would have been to kill people. Like, you got to be a little bit mature to, like, recognize that. And a lot of the people who are mature enough to recognize that and can say, yeah, I guess I am okay with killing people, they fucking attack them. They've ostracized them completely. Like, why would you join... A military that overtly like hates you. Oh, I think I lost you there. I think you're uh, muted. Yep, I was. Now yeah. I'm back. We're back. It's let's be real. It's probably better that way. <laughs> 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 huh? Yeah, it's interesting. The. uh the kind of dichotomy there of of needing a certain group but also having policies that that greatly discourage that same group from joining yeah and then you're like, like well, why is retention so bad it's like well i mean what's more important to you <laughs> yeah that is just one that's, that, that that even is just one factor of like the retention like if they can make like military life just that little bit better it'd be so good and i mm. like more people would stay in just people are getting out because they're fucking frustrated because 
things that they view as like major fucking problems. Granted, not everything that one person thinks is a problem is a problem. Like I can recognize that about myself. Um, sure. Sure. Like, like there's a new uniform thing coming out. I, I'm just so jaded at this point. I, I, I've like fucking picked it apart a lot. I can get into that later, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter all that much, but if they could just right. make the quality of life, there was this, um, I don't know if you heard, but, um, I can't remember the general's name, uh, general Vance. That's what it was. That's his name. He created this thing called, um, op honor. So it's operation honor. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, the fight against, I don't know, like sexual harassment or all the fucking buzz point things like that sure. in the military. Now, like I'm, I'm saying this because it's true. Like there's officers in the Canadian military and there's, I know for a fact, I, I can't say for a fact, I don't know names in the Canadian military, but if I researched it uh, on Google, I know for a fact I could find American soldiers doing this. Um, like officers literally raping people and like, nothing's happening right but an enlisted sure. man can make a fucking such as joke and like they will actually get in shit people have been charged like they've been like they're not allowed to work or they're losing out on pay or they get some bitch duty they have to like come in on a weekend and like sit behind a desk and do nothing right right yeah which i mean like huh. you know they'd probably be sitting behind a desk doing nothing except that nothing would be like fucking playing a video game or something like that but that's beside the point Right. But the thing is, General Vance had a um a relationship with a uh this guy this guy is our top military guy, period. Okay. Had a relationship with a uh, female corporal, to my knowledge. And now like I don't it it, it wasn't unconsensual, it was a consensual relationship, but something about like the power power dynamic or like competitive interest or something like that. Sure. So he implemented op honor and then got op honor to himself. And then when that happens, um, he gets fired. So we get a new CDS, Chief of Defense Staff. That's the name for the highest military person. Okay. We, we get a new CDS, and then um, well, he gets off honored like a week later. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you serious? Yeah, it was like back to back. Like that's I, wild. It, it, like, it literally happened like two years ago or something like that at this point. And it, like, it just barely made the news here in Canada, so I don't imagine anyone in the States knows about it. Sure. Um, sure. And, and you're saying because, because of their position, uh, they might've suffered some, some repercussions, but it didn't make the news. Whereas if it had been somebody else, it would have been all over the news. Like, look at, look at this. Problem. Yeah. Like they, they, there would be, um, like just every once in a while, like a random news article would talk about the problems of it in like the junior ranks mess, which is like where the lower enlisted is. Um, sure. because, well, first of all, there's more lower enlisted than any other rank in any military on on the face of the earth but i mean like we're young people we're we're you would expect us to be that sort of like warrior mentality you know i know it's really cringe to say that but um like people who grew up like playing like modern warfare 2 and getting called a faggot when they were like nine right still in grade school like we're, we're desensitized to it I like me personally if if people can't handle, if I say a word, any word, like slur, upsetting, profanity, or even just a statement that makes people upset, if you you chose to get upset at that, it's not my fault. I haven't done anything wrong. You chose to get upset about that. Like, mm, sure. 
it's like um like i'll use it as an example like african-americans the, the ones who when they actually encounter like a real racist person who's like throwing the m-bomb at them and things like that and they don't react like i have mad respect for that person because you, they have that shows they have a lot more emotional maturity and things like that right yeah yeah so they're going after the they're they're being super anti-mature when they're going after those people making those jokes and things like that like i've said a shitload of fucked up stuff in my life like like you've seen generation kill like yeah. I, like we were never in we never saw any dead bodies or anything like that we never killed anyone but we're still in a stressful situation and you want to prepare yourself for that and that's how you would cope with it right it's humor like humor gets you through dark times hmm. but uh after that a uh, second uh cds got off honored we got a new one i don't know his name and then off honor was removed from the Canadian military. Oh, really? Invented. Yeah, because it was a... <laughs> well, I mean, it was obvi- it's obviously a complete failure. Like, like I know I know about people, like, at that base in Nova Scotia. Like, I know I know there was, like, some rapes that have happened there in the past and, like, not even too far distance past. And sure. it's, not, it's not like it's a daily occurrence or anything like that. It's not like it's a systemic problem. Like, it is a, it is a problem. It is in a system. Maybe it's a right. systemic problem by that definition, but sure, like people get sexually harassed and like even like raped at like normal corporate jobs and things like that. Yeah, like huh. I, I don't, I don't mean to say this as like it's okay, but it's normal. Do you know what right. I mean? Right. And yeah. and off honor didn't work when it comes to protecting the individual, but uh, it worked too well. Um, against the higher brass so they're like well we don't like this anymore let's let's get yeah. rid of it <laughs> yeah yeah uh but that was um that was that was a fun time to be in the military literally your top guy that two your two top guys back to back getting right. getting off honor it's like man what the fuck is going on <laughs> wow that's crazy yeah and then and then you know yeah that just contributes to um yeah the leaving problem there was there was there yeah. like the retention problem there was um i can't remember her name or her rank but she was a pretty high ranking officer and um like she did a whole like really professional like like she basically said fuck you i'm leaving but in like an extremely professional way hmm. and like okay. that I, that did get a seemingly a little bit of more mainstream news coverage here in Canada, like people who weren't in the military, I, I mentioned it to them and like, oh yeah, I, I heard about that. But right. like, that was uh, that was one of the things that came out about it, or it came out because of, or a repercussion of, you know, the leadership failure and the whole off honor thing. And the, my right. unit's my unit's response to that was we had a little like sort of I don't know like group talk, literally something straight out of like grade school where we all had like our own little whiteboard and we would write down some ideas about um, a subject onto it. And then we would like, you know, share it with the class in a way. I mean, like that didn't right, really, right. I didn't do anything, but you know, <laughs> at least we, I, I guess we tried. What can you do? Like, what can you do in, in that situation though? Like I, I can totally, I, I can totally understand like why you would like, like that, that didn't do anything, but at least like, it was it was an attempt was made sure yeah yeah it against a, a huge especially like a bureaucracy but any kind of massive uh 
movement maybe i don't know yeah it's easy to just or it's understandable for that to be the response like what what can i do to change this you know i i understand but but you i think what's important what what has affected me a lot is realizing that while individuals can sway world events it's unlikely that i'm going to all i can be responsible for is me and my actions so mm-hmm. to what you were saying earlier about the whole loyalty and integrity thing, integrity is important. Like you were saying, if you, if you don't have integrity, then a lot of what you're doing is, is, uh, uh, has less meaning, I guess. Yeah. So, so even though actions I take likely will not affect world events or even local events, I still know that I have the, the personal integrity and I'm being consistent with my values and, and that that's my goal not to change the world but mm-hmm. to to change your consistent. world yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah, that's, so yeah that's, I, that's, I, I feel you it's like well i i can't change anything and that that's true in a global sense for almost everybody but um but you know yeah you can definitely change yourself and, and affect those around you that's really all that matters though like you are you are your own world right yeah. Like, that, like, yeah. like me personally, that's why I had such a hard time like dealing with like what I let happen to me. Fortunately, like, I I paid out of pocket to go to go to a cardiologist because I well first of all I'd have to wear a mask if I I still have to wear a fucking mask if I go to uh, a, a hospital in this uh, mm. country. I don't know how it is in the states. Don't really care. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the jab autocracy is not over and uh, it will never ever be over, which is uh, as the a gut check and the reality that I've had to let sink in, but they, they yeah. wouldn't, they wouldn't take me to, um, they wouldn't take me to public hospital. At least I don't think, uh, when I'm staying here, like, yeah, I think I have a vaccine injury. Um, right. It's just, it's pains in my chest never appeared before the jab. Uh, but the cardiologist said my heart's fucking fine. Huh? Could it, could it be stress sure. of me overthinking? you know, the possible damage that would have happened to me. It could be. Right, right. But that damage is 100% possible and is real and has happened and fucked up a lot of people. Um, but I guess we'll, 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 we'll blow past that um, crime against humanity, I guess. Um, just what I got to keep telling myself, like, oh, my, my white blood cells are so strong. They fought off on against the heavy metals and the vaccine. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel you. It's, it's uh yeah how how to deal with with it and how to respond to it yeah hmm personally like i didn't i didn't treat it the the way that i wanted to at the time because i was in the military i had that whole like loyalty integrity thing because like you know i wanted to be a good soldier and things like that like i speak out about it when i'm like with my friends and my peer groups and things like that but i wasn't wasn't actively going to like uh the trucker rally or uh, any other protests that appeared at any point in time, sure. you know i get sure. to like 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 god forbid i get caught there like i don't know and <laughs> maybe i'm the one who threw a pebble at the prime minister and now i'm right. under investigation getting charged on the civilian and military side would be uh, not a fun time wow um, yeah no kidding yeah but my response to that is like i've I, i've seen how people have conducted themselves these past three years and um the people who have conducted themselves in ways that I view to be bad, they fuck you. Like, I don't want you in my life. 
I sure. literally don't care if it's family because a lot of it is family. I'm extremely disgusted in their actions. I don't mm. care what they say. It will never change. And I will never forget the things that they said to me too because of what I was voicing. And I do, and I do 100% believe that I am on the right side of history when I'm, when I'm talking about this stuff. I just didn't have the confidence to do it back then and actually stand up for myself and put my foot down and be like, no, I am not getting uh, jabbed to be in the military. Mm, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially for us down here in America, at least my my viewpoint of Canada, it felt much more hopless for an individual Canadian to oh, be like, yeah. well, no, that, going, that, that I, is, that I is the word to. to describe my life. I was, I was completely hopeless. Like when I was literally at, in, in the, in the fucking gutter, like the worst I've ever felt in my entire life. Like yeah. I, just, I just felt, I felt completely alone that whole time. Like I felt yeah. like everyone around me was, you know, retarded and yeah, it did kind of make me like, you know, upset and mad, especially about strangers. But it, it was more like I felt upset for my family because they're just letting this shit fucking happen to them. And, um, hmm. yeah, like I had to fight hard to get my mother to allow me to have friends over. Like, oh, sure. Right. Like, come on, man. Like, serious? <laughs> like, fine, we'll go fucking hang out in my buddy's car. But right. I don't care. Right. But yeah, that's it's that is the that is the silver lining to the entire thing. It's me personally. I'm more I'm more confident in what I believe to be right and what I know to be true, and I don't care what other people think about it. Sure. Yeah, and I I think that's regardless of the viewpoint that people have. I think that is one result of the last several years is um, just a maybe for good or ill. Um, a, a widening of the divisions between between viewpoints and and mo- a um, a greater acceptance of you know it is what it is as opposed to trying to convince people which i yeah. i don't know I, I that could be viewed as a bad thing and also could be viewed as a good thing i think i'm going to choose to view it as a good thing uh because i know if it keeps going one of these days something bad's going to happen, but it has to get worse before it can get better. Right? Right. Sure. And, like, fuck, it's it's your own life. Like, why would you spend your your life surrounded by people that you don't like or whose goals are not similar to yours or people who are literally ideologically opposed to you to the point where they would let a boot, you know, fucking just do whatever the fuck it wants to you. And fuck you for not getting jabbed, too. You killed my grandma. Right, right. Like I don't want to be around those people anymore. Yeah, it's a, that's, it's a, that's it's a waste tough. of my time. My time's pretty precious. Because you know, every second that passes, I have less of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, every yeah. Hmm. That's a good viewpoint, though. I like I like that attitude of uh, of towards time. You know, it's it's not just an unlimited resource, but to treat it value with value. It's a good point. <laughs> it, yeah, I I think that's uh pretty impactful to probably everybody listening. <laughs> but hmm. yeah, so so yeah, was that your that was your primary impetus to get out? If it hadn't been for that, would you 
was your goal to stay in the reserves for uh, forever? Well, uh, well I, uh, my, um, yeah, like basically, yeah, I was planning on being a career military person. Um, like that's what it was for a lot of my life beforehand. And then kind of mm -hmm. like a few years before I joined, I like, like I want to move to the U S like desperately, unfortunately, the one bad thing that Trump did was make it a little bit harder for Canadians to become American citizens. So oh, if uh, okay, sure. Any any American women out there, hit me up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're um, single and ready to mingle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, but what, what was I getting at? Um, yeah, because there, there, there are other things I wanted to do. So I was starting to already recognize that it wasn't something that I couldn't I could do forever. I mean, like in an ideal world, mm. like if, if I could have did, I, I, I said the typical infantry stuff like, yeah, man, I want to do special forces because it's the toughest fucking thing you can do out there. But right. the mentality to have, I literally, it, it's not happening anymore. I'm okay with that. Um, I can, I can buy the gear. I can lock on my own. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was my goal. My goal was to go into the reserve force, get get my training done so I'm all qualified, move over to the regular force so I would start doing more army stuff and, uh, you know, then hopefully one day end up in special forces and kind of be at the top of the top, you know, get that flexibility that we need because it's a bureaucracy. But within every bureaucracy, there's always those hidden corners where, you know, yeah, you can kind of do what you want. Like me, me personally, I did, um, I was uh, the opposing force for a, uh, a reconnaissance force. So basically, mm -hmm. I would stand in a, uh, a pre-designated area for like 11 hours straight, which is a little boring after like the third hour. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we would like, we were dressed up as like the enemy, things like that. I Like I was wearing my own personal kit, uh, kit which is objectively better than the shit that they would issue us. Right, um, right. So that, 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 that flexibility I'm talking about, there's things that we can change to make our jobs go literally better, but they won't, they won't let us have it. Like my unit apparently just now has started letting people wear their own personal bot chest rigs, which is mm. something that I would have, I would have liked to done because I, uh, spent a shitload of money on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But, um, huh. and even in, even in like the, the reconnaissance, uh, people there, cause they were all um well, most of them were from the second royal regiment and uh, from what the what i got from the people who were part of that unit that was a, that's like the the track plan for a lot of them is they join the unit and then they immediately go and do reconnaissance mm. it's just you get a c8 so you get a little carbine you fucking it's not as heavy you look super cool uh you get to wear a little bit more of your own gear like at basis there were a few people on that course who literally were not wearing a single piece of issued military gear. Everything they were wearing was bought on their own dime. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and I like, those... I... go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I like those people because especially when they're buying gear that is of quality, like good stuff, like, like not to shit talk, like Condor gear or something like that. I will shit talk 511 gear though. Um, <laughs> except for the backpacks, the backpacks are, backpack to the past but um you see people going out there with like cries and like outdoor research arteric and things like that like it shows that they care about their job sure they want to they want to do it better to the point where they're willing to spend thousands of dollars on their their own personal gear 
Right. Right. And then then we have a bunch of old head bureaucrats who are like, and to a certain extent, yeah, you probably shouldn't be where you shouldn't look like you just came out of like a, a mech store when you're going into combat. Right. You probably should wear your uniform, but at least they're smart about it too. They're not out here like wearing because um, the area we're training in multicam doesn't really work that good. And that actually that reminds me, throw a loop back to that um, mm. that new Canadian camouflage pattern. I think if you Google it, it's called like Project J or something like that. Um, okay. It is CAD Pat, like it's the exact same layout. However, they just used uh, all the colors from Multicam. So they added like two extra colors because like CAD Pat, Temperate Woodland, which is the green one, uses four colors. And uh, okay. Arid, which is our desert one, uses I think like three. <clears throat> which mm. another point, another point to be made there. We already had a Woodland camouflage and a desert camouflage. Why do we need a third camouflage? That is supposed. That is essentially a mix of the two, because that's what multicam right. is. It's supposed to be a camouflage that's applicable in lots of areas. Right. Right. Now, granted, for other parts of Canada, for other times in the year, because this was around uh, fall time in New Brunswick, it's super green, super dark green, and a lot of dark brown. Now, this mm. uniform is basically light brown, and I would see people like standing, you know, in the woods and like, I can make them out easier because of the uniform they were wearing as sure. opposed to the people who were wearing the other one. And again, granted, it's a time and place sort of thing, but I don't see a reason to spend tens, I don't know, maybe hundreds of million dollars getting all of those right. uniforms, buying the new gear, buying our old ass fragmentation vests, which should have been we should have been done with those a long time ago, but you know, shit, fuck it. Yeah. Let's burn them in the new camo. Right. I, right. Think, I think there's, I think there's something, every piece of mil Canadian military equipment has to be Canadian. Like we couldn't, if we wanted oh. to, we couldn't, we couldn't go and buy multicam. So I guess we had to make multicam at home like that. Right. Right. The then, not invented here syndrome. Yeah. There's, um, Again, uh, Nathan from the, the Seaburn podcast talked about it a bunch with, uh, like, I think some jets or something like that or things like that. It has to be mm. Canadian-made. Sometimes that's sure. good. Like, our, our rifles, Dimaco, well, formerly Dimaco, now Colt Canada, like, they make really, really good guns. So. Oh, okay. So, so, in some instances, you can use designs from other countries, but it has to be made in Canada. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, like, um, there was some helicopters and some jets and things like that. I think our F-14s, like, I think we use F-14s. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, they're, like, like 18s. I, 18s. Like, 18s. CF-18s. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Some fucking unique Canadian term. Or, um, <laughs> like, our, our Leopard 2s, like our tanks, for example. Now, I, I didn't meet any tankers. I didn't really talk to them. I talked to, like, a few people who were in them. And uh, there's like some system that was in the tank from the factory, from whoever makes it in Germany as like an option. Um, I think it was something for uh, like operating in cold weather. And when we purchased it, we like you buy the stripped out model because, you know, it's a little bit cheaper. Right. And then like we had to like re-add something. I don't know. It's, it's just some <laughs> retarded ass symptom of bureaucracy that otherwise would not exist. Right, right. 
yeah, the uh, what is it? Purnell's Iron Law of Bureaucracy. I yeah, think. something like that. Uh, what is it? The I, I'm going to butcher it, but essentially, as the older bureaucracy gets, a bureaucracy contains two components: people who execute the goal of the bureaucracy and people who maintain the bureaucracy. Yeah, and, yeah. And the older the bureaucracy gets the larger the second group gets in comparison to the, the group that is actually there to do the job. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to a point where the primary goal of the bureaucracy is to maintain itself and the, the mission becomes a, a sideline. It, it, exactly. Yeah. Like there's uh there's like another certain vehicle uh, that we have. It's called like the tap, the tap V I think it is some mm-hmm. company in Texas makes it. Uh, it's like a four wheeled armor vehicle, which doesn't really serve a purpose. I mean, like it's, we already have vehicles that can do the things that it is doing and it's, and it's kind of like doing it worse, but you know, oh, I, I guess we got a fucking good deal on or some shit. Right. <laughs> but there's a built, there's a built-in navigational system in there, which uh, is, is possible for something in the computer to reset. And so you'll pull up your map and you'll be in the middle of Texas where, where it was made. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> And they also they also just like roll over and catch fire and like the parking brakes on them just stop working. It, it, it I know someone it nearly crushed someone I knew. Like, oh really? Parked, yeah, it was parked uh, in an armory. It was where I did my basic training. The parking brake failed and it just started rolling. Kind of kind of dented some stuff on the wall. He guy got out of the way in time, thankfully. Wow. But, yeah. But even when I, I hear other people on this podcast talking about it, like some, I think it was like a Marine Corps air wing guy talking about their stuff. Like you think, you just think this stuff wouldn't happen. And then, and then you witness it. Right. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- people care this, you know, this couldn't happen. And then, yeah. It happens. Like, oh well. It makes, it makes you start to question what the word uh, "professional" means. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, because there's there's some pe- like in any government job, there are some people who like take it seriously, do it right, and are actually like good employees. And when they when they hopefully come to their senses and go out to the private sector or even start their own business, they're gonna thrive. But then there's people there who like basically do like the silent quitting stuff, like like the lady at the DMV. It's like, bro. You don't have form four filled out. I can't serve you. You need to go out of line and go get form four. Right. Yeah. I know you have to go to your home computer and print it off there, but you have to like they're, they're just fucking not doing anything. Like, especially when that lady has form four printed out in a drawer right at her desk that she could pull out and give to the guy. Right. Cause that's what it feels like a lot of the time. And then there's that other problem of you can't really fire people in the military. So you do end up with the people in positions that they shouldn't be in. And some right. people just get cornholed into certain things. And, you know, I feel, I feel bad for some of them, but some of them it's okay. Like, like, like maybe they had like a, a bad injury. Like I know someone, they had like a terminal illness and they're able to fight it off. Mm. Great for them. Uh, but he can't do any infantry stuff. So he's just relegated to a, uh, an administrative role. Mm, okay sure yeah yeah i do i do like your point earlier about how even in a bureaucracy if you have to work in it and for some whatever reason you choose to not leave it it is possible to find 
niches where there's less bureaucracy going on. Yeah. You like the only problem is you won't know where they are until you get to one. Right. Yeah. They, they don't advertise for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. They advertise they're getting shut down. Right. Right. But yeah, once you're there, you're like, Oh, this is, this is actually kind of nice. I don't mind this as much. Yeah. Like that, uh, that reconnaissance thing I did in New Brunswick. I, uh, the demo or the opposing force i mm. genuinely oh, yeah. i genuinely enjoyed that that was a, a good amount of fun right even, even though you're just standing there for 13 hours or whatever yeah the autonomy and the the um ability to use your own kit and everything just makes it more interesting oh yeah we're There's just like else. out out there having like a bonfire you know we're bringing out our camping stools things like that playing music things like that Lots oh of fun so- stuff so you were like the whole time you were out, you were acting as if you were the opposing force. Kind of. Or... Yeah. I mean, okay. like we could have, we could have like amped it up like 900% and like been like super, super into it. But like, I don't, you wouldn't do that unless you're on like a film set. So sure. So for the, sure. the level we, for what, what needed to be done was, um, cause initially if we spotted the, uh, the recon guys, we uh-huh. would engage that we would engage them instantly and right. then you know when you're doing so many of those tests and things like that you will get found out like and it's and again it's the only way that you're i, I would never expect anyone doing that to be perfect 100 percent. like you should be this is the time to fail in training right where the right. only thing getting sh- the only thing happening is someone shooting blanks at you and there's nothing coming at you like and then right. you then you just you react the way you're supposed to. And like, that's good training, but it was happening so much. Like it got to the point where they're like, all right, listen, you see him, you see him. All right. Give him like, give him three minutes. Like just walk around a little bit, come right back there. If they're still there, shoot at them. If they're not, they have done, they have done their job correctly. Like, like even there was a few times I'm sitting on the edge of a tree line for two minutes. I like, I swear to God, I heard something. And Two minutes in, I'm like, boom, there he is, doing exactly what he should be, perfectly still, not moving, because, you know, the movement is going to attract your eye and things like that. Right. Again, in a real-life situation, I would have killed him, like, straight up. But Mm, that's not not what our purpose was. The purpose was they're supposed to be able to see us, describe our movements, our size, and uh, what we're doing, what our equipment's like. You know, we are we smoking and joking? Do we look depressed? You know, just sure, literally, sure. literally everything, because all that information is important. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. If you're just being that guy, you know, just hanging out, basically camping with some duties, some standing guard duties, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of fun. And I'm like, uh, you probably figured this out. I'm a bit of a gun guy too, but we got some uh, foreign weapons, which was actually kind of cool. Oh, had, like, uh, we had a few SKSs, which for Canada's, you know, nothing. Oh, I right. even for America, that's nothing. But um, uh, we had like a Chinese RPD, and uh, I, th- I think we had a legitimate Russian Dragunov, and that was pretty cool. Oh we, yeah, yeah. Oh, that would yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, we didn't have any uh, blanks for them or anything like that. Um, because like the only blank fire we have blank firing adapters. Uh, the one that goes on the C7 and the C8, it also goes on the C9. And then the one for um, our C6, which is an M240 Bravo, excuse me, is a little okay. bit different. Okay. 
because you could like uh, I think they do actually go out and shoot these guns every once in a while because uh, like like the Canadian military has a public uh, social media presence and they've posted about it a few times like people going out and shooting Uzis and Mosins and things oh, like that. Okay. Sure, sure. Because I believe but they just um, don't have blank firing adapters for them. Exactly. Yeah, they okay. they'd have to like do something inside of the uh, the barrel, kind of like how prop guns were. Oh, okay, sure. But they also, I think they do shoot them as a part of an actual, like, uh, trade course for when you become an NCO. It's like some kind of foreign weapons familiar. Because, I don't know, I guess you're in a foreign country, you capture weapons, you should be able to make them clear. Or <laughs> right, know where the safety is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. or if you end, if you find yourself in a position where you, you want to increase your firepower, it'd be nice to be able to know how to use them, especially the machine guns and Oh sure, yeah, that's like true. Because that. they're the, those are the main casualty producing weapons that we have access to. Right. You can kind of right. you can kind of think of a rifleman. His rifle is, uh, I this isn't this isn't my idea, but I kind of agree with it in, to an extent. It's a personal defense weapon. It's just to sort of kind of protect you. It's not sure. Your machine guns and your rocket launchers and your hand grenades are going to kill more people than your rifle. But then mm. your air assets, your artillery, your tanks, your extreme heavy weapons, those are the real casualty producers. There's, right. this, uh, sure. there's this guy, uh, I think he's called Modern Tactical Shooting on uh, YouTube. I just can't remember his name off the top of my head. But mm. I think he was uh, Green Beret, and he has a YouTube video talking about um, why he went out with like a Mark 18. If you don't know what a Mark 18 is, it's an M4, but it's a... 10.3 inch barrel or 10.5 inch barrel. Mm, I don't know. It doesn't right. really matter. Um, but what he would say is like in a firefight, like I maybe would fire like two or three rounds at somewhere where the enemy is or where we believe the fire to be coming from. And then I'm going to move in a, into a position and I get on my radio and I start talking to helicopters or I'm talking to planes, jets, warthogs, etc. Yeah. I, I say I agree with that statement to an extent because, like, if you're going to be out there, like, make it like line infantry, you should be able to shoot pretty good. You should be able to actually, like, if you actually get a clean sight on someone and you have enough time to slow down, get your, you know, your trigger pull and things like that. First of all, you, you as a person should be capable of making that shot. Second of all, your weapon itself should be capable of making that shot as well. Mm. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, but that that is a good point. You know, if you're if you have all these assets at your disposal as as a full blown military, um, your the rifle's not your best tool. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't I don't know. There's there's probably some like actual statistics from like conflicts that you can search up to further demonstrate this point. But for right now, just trust me, bro. Yeah, I, I know. I've I have heard a lot that artillery is the biggest killer on the battlefield th throughout history, even nowadays. Yeah. But yeah, because it it's such a massive effect. Hmm. Yeah, but you can't let that overshadow the idea. Like when it comes down to fighting, like actual, it always is infantry on infantry. So those those small small arms and the hand grenades right. and things like that, things you can easily carry on your person. It does matter. Right. Yeah, bombers can't hold territory. Them. No. Yeah. No, they cannot. They can 
put huh. holes in territory, but you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Any? any did you miss anything or any questions? You, oh, oh, yeah. I, the I one. Completely forgot the one. Yeah. It, the answer so is if, no. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, but if, say, if, say it for the listener. Also. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, a, if a kid, 17 years old or whatever, was to come to you and say, hey, I'm thinking about joining the military, what's your advice? What would your advice be? Don't, man. Like, you can achieve, all, like, do you, like, if you want to go, like, if the reason for joining the military is to, like, go fight people, volunteer to go to Ukraine. Volunteer with the YPG, uh, YPG forces in, like, Syria. There are people you can probably get on a plane and be fighting sure. within a week. Right. If you're right. going for the military for that, don't, don't fucking bother. Like, all the bureaucracy shit that people complain about is completely valid. It is real. Um, if, you if you want to have commitments outside of it, uh, especially with the, uh, the regular force, like, you're going to have to fucking write up a memo to be like, hey, man, I want to drive fucking two hours away on a weekend or something like that. Right, right. The answer is no. It's always no. However, for Canadians, if you're, if you want to try it out, so this is, this is what I had. This is what my father was saying to me. And he actually was right about this too. My recruiter said this as well. Hmm. If I can go to the reserve first. If I don't like it. Like how I said earlier, I just stopped showing up. I not in a contract. I don't have an obligation of service. I can just get out right away. I could literally like join and then two days later leave if I wanted to. Huh. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's like a, it's uh, like a, a trial period kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, like it is obviously easier to join than it is to, to get out. Cause like me personally, I, uh, I tried to follow my chain of command properly when I was getting out where I had my memo uh, typed up and was supposed to get sent up uh, the chain of command up until like I think the commanding officer of the unit mm -hmm. um, and then a few months passed and nothing happened so I called my battalion orderly room and I'm like hey listen uh, and this is also after they tried to charge me with being AWOL I was on an extended leave of absence someone must have lost that paperwork and like hey man you're going to be fucking AWOL in 30 days no I'm not <laughs> so I had to call them and deal with that and then when I'm like, hey, listen, I sent my uh, memo uh, like uh, two months ago uh, to release. Are you guys tracking that at all? No, no, we're not. So I, I circumvented the chain of command to get out. Wow. It's a fucking yeah, it's a fucking problem of bureaucracy. It's not worth it. Hmm. Is it like all that historical stuff and the badassery? Yeah, it's there. But like you need to recognize what it's serving. You're, ser you're serving like, you know, like globalist ideas today you're supporting basically the world economic forum today when you're joining the military like sure like unironically because the military is an extension of the government you know that the government already hates you you can you literally already know what their plans are because they announce them why would you support it if, especially if you're a person like me who disagrees with it sure yeah just don't do it go work at a golf course for cash Get get some uh, some real world experience under your yeah, belt. Yeah, go to go to cabinetry school for like a year, and then go out and make six figures. Yeah, you can just make make enough money so you can buy the gear on your own. Cause I get it; it's fun. I had a lot of fun in the military, like doing all the actual military stuff. It's fun. 
You don't have to be in the military to do it. You can go and do it yourself. And you don't need the permission of anyone to do it because, like, fuck that shit. Like, that Dakota Meyer shit where it's like, oh, you shouldn't be wearing body armor. Like, fuck that shit. Go out and do it. Right. It's well, fun. yeah, like you're you're saying the most enjoyable time you had, the op for time, was legitimate. If you just had a large group of friends, you could just completely do that yeah. all on your own. Yeah. Yeah, and, straight up. And I don't know Canada's laws, but I, I don't know. I mean, you could modify it so you could do almost exactly the same thing and be yeah. totally on the up and up if anybody was concerned about it. If you know your grid location, uh, there's certain types of land. Uh, it's called crown land, which is a government land, but there's certain areas on it where you can basically, you can button do whatever the fuck you want, except for like, I don't know, use explosive reactive targets. I think that's the exact wording they use. Oh, certain, okay. er, certain, certain sure. areas you can't shoot on, but there's nothing saying you can't throw a rucksack on and all your gear and walk through it. Right. Right. And, then and like this, you were saying, if you're just blank firing anyways, you could, I'm sure you could come up with some kind of, um, uh, other solution. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Airsoft, airsoft, paintball guns. Yeah, yeah. There's lots. There's lots of workarounds. It'll never replicate actual combat one to one, but um, I don't think anything ever will. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> and and like you were saying, um, or no, I'm sorry. I was just talking with a friend of mine about the stress that they try to create in training. Um, to to simulate that that's yeah. right he was talking about calling at the rifle range and how there's only so much they can do you know they yeah. play loud noises on this loudspeakers and everything but you know they aren't shooting at you yeah you don't hear you just, a you supersonic crack them. above your head yeah you're not you're not seeing dirt getting kicked up around you right right you're not it's you're just not, not seeing your, you're not seeing your buddy getting shot and you yourself are not being shot either yeah yeah some things you just can't practice yeah <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Any any uh any last thoughts or final points or I don't have anything I don't have anything to shout out, but um I will say this, little dad advice. Uh, stop eating seed oils, stop eating processed foods, stop drinking sugar drinks. You become what you eat. Eat fucking good food. Eat real food. Like that's it. That's all I got. Thank you for listening to this episode of How I Embraced the Self. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, stay frosty. have like an O. Henry bar or a Kit Kat or something like that because there's like veg oil and things like that in it. But I have some like non-GMO jam.